Unless otherwise indicated, Ratchet Book Club is intended for a mature audience. Viewer discretion is greatly advised. Welcome to Ratchet Book Club, where we read hood classics and good classics. I'm Derek. 916-633-1537. Ratchet and Ratchet at gmail.com. Uh, Ratchet Book Club on Twitter. Yeah, I put the explicit warning on this show, but I don't really remember if it's explicit. What I do know about the show. what I Well, I know the show's explicit, like fuck. But, um... But fuck. Uh, what I likely will do, though, is I'll be talking just like that through the show, making it explicit by default. But um, as far as the contents of the book, the contents of the book, I don't remember. Which is weird because it's one of my favorite books of all time, and I know what it talks about. I just don't know how explicit it gets into it. I know there's a sex scene or two. But I don't know how explicit it gets into it. See, I'm taking a break from the cartel. But we're still talking about drugs. It's not the kind of drugs like the cartels got. I mean, not even close. But we are still... You know, the cartel doesn't talk about drugs a lot. Doesn't really say what they're really into, like, all the time. It's kind of vague. I think they do heroin. I think they sell heroin. I don't know. But in this book, this book I'm about to introduce to y'all, I know exactly what they sell because they talk about it. And it's, it's a weed. Mario. It's weed. They sell weed. They talk about the kinds of weed. They talk about the history of weed. It's weed. We're going from coast to coast in this one. We're going from Miami to Cali, baby. Cali, baby. We're going to the PCH. For those of y'all who are uninitiated, the PCH is the Pacific Coast Highway. The most lavishly rich area of Southern California that I've seen in a long time. Like, it's beautiful. It is such a beautiful highway to ride down. I recommend it to everybody. Rent a really nice car. Put the top down and just don't wear a hat. Because if you put the top down, it's going to blow off in the wind. I don't know how else to say that to you. Anyhow, beautiful place. Just made for smoking weed. Tons of hippies. Um, So, I say all that to say, I am pleased as punch to be bringing this next book to you. I am going to love every moment of reading it to you. And, on top of all that, I am going to do a voice. I'm not doing voice for everybody. Everybody else is going to get the same voice. But I am doing one single voice for one person. You'll know when you hear it. But from me to you, and also from Don Winslow to you, here's the death and life of Bobby Z. Now, for those of y'all who know this book because of the movie, fuck that movie. Fuck it in the face with a wrench. Oh my God, I fucking hate Paul Walker. I hate him so, so much. First of all, he's a pedophile. But then on top of all that, he can't act. He cannot act. I've watched this dude blow up all of my best movies from the time he was a teenager until he was an adult. And I'm not going to say that She's All That is Oscar-worthy material, but fuck it if it's better than he is. He can't act. One of the best acting jobs he did was dead. Damn, that sounds bad. But I hate him, so I can say that. 
By the way, leave a review on Podchaser. Cool thing about leaving a review on Podchaser is that you can leave a review for the show and separate episodes. So this one should definitely get five fucking stars. Anyhow, fuck Paul Walker. But I love this book. And so I was furious when he took this book and shitted on it by being the main character. But wait, there's more. There's another book that I love called Timeline by John Grisham. Or Michael Michael Crichton. Michael Crichton did Timeline. And guess who got the lead role when they made that into a movie? That's right. The same fucking horrible actor, Paul Walker. Probably with a 16-year-old girlfriend in tow while he was like fucking 30. But anyways, he's dead now. So here we are. With The Death and Life of Bobby Z. By Don Winslow. Oh, yeah, and the chapters go quick. Don Winslow, by the way, I just love this book. I'm sorry, I want to keep talking about it. Don Winslow is one of the chillest writers I've ever read, like, period. Like, he is so fucking California cool that I just, I feel like this book is the West Side. All right, let's go. Chapter one. Here's how Tim Kearney gets to be the legendary Bobby Z. How Tim Kearney gets to be Bobby Z is that he sharpens a license plate to a razor's edge and draws it across the throat of a humongous hell's angel named Stink Dog. Making Stink Dog instantly dead and a DEA agent named Tad Garuza instantly happy. That'll make him a lot easier to persuade, Garuza says when he hears about it, meaning Kearney of course. Because Stink Dog is beyond persuasion at that point. Gruza is right. Not only does a murder rap make Tim Kearney a three-time loser, but killing a Hell's Angel also makes him a dead man on any prison yard in California. So, life without possibility of parole really means life without possibility of life once Tim gets back into the general prison population. Not that Tim wanted to kill Stink Dog. He didn't. It's just the stink dog came to him on the yard and told him to join the Aryan Brotherhood or else. And Tim said else. And that's when Tim knew that he better hone that license plate to a surgical edge. The California Corrections Department isn't all that thrilled. Although a few of its officials admit to mixed feelings over stink dog's demise. What pisses them off is that Tim used the supposed tool of his rehabilitation, honest work making license plates to commit premeditated murder inside the correctional facility at San Quentin. It wasn't murder, Tim tells his court-appointed public defender. It was self-defense. You walked up on him in the yard, took a sharpened license plate out of your sweatshirt, and slashed his throat, the lawyer reminds him. And you planned it. Carefully, Tim agrees. Stink Dog had about 10 inches and 150 pounds on him. Used to, anyway. Lying dead on a gurney, he's considerably shorter than Tim. And much slower. That makes it murder, the lawyer says. Self-defense, Tim insists. He doesn't expect the young lawyer or the justice system to appreciate the subtle difference between a preemptive strike and a premeditated murder. But Stink Dog had given Tim a choice. Join the Aryan Brotherhood or die. Tim didn't want to do either. So his only option was to take preventive action. The Israelis do it all the time, Tim says to the lawyer. They're a country, the lawyer answers. You're a career criminal. It hasn't been much of a career. Three juvenile B&Es, which means breaking and entering to the uninitiated. Sorry, this is me. A short stay with the California Youth Authority. A court-suggested stint in the Marines that ends in a dishonorable discharge. A burglary that ends up in Chino. And then the beef that Tim's prior PD referred to as the Butte. This is a Butte, Tim's prior attorney said. Let me make sure I have this straight. Because I want to get it right when I dine out on it for the next three years. Your buddy picks you up at Chino, and on the way home, you rob a gas and grub. 
My buddy, Tim thought. Asshole Wayne LePerrier. He robbed the gas and grub, Tim said. Told me to wait in the car while he just went in for cigarettes. He said you had the gun. He had the gun. Yeah, but he cut a deal first, the lawyer said. So, for all practical purposes, you had the gun. The trial was a joke. A regular laugh riot. Especially when the Pakistani night clerk testified. And what did the defendant say to you when he pulled the gun? The DA had asked. Exactly? Exactly. His precise words? Please. He said, don't stick and move. This is a fuck up. The jury laughed. The judge laughed. Even Tim had to admit it was pretty funny. It was so fucking comical that it landed Tim in an 8 to 12 in San Quentin in the proximity of Stink Dog and a murder beef. Can you plead it down? Tim asked this public defender. Maybe third degree? Tim, I could plead it down to pissing in a phone booth and you're still looking at life without parole, the lawyer says. You're a three-time loser. A monumental career fuck-up. A lifetime ambition realized, Tim thinks. And I'm only 27. That's where Tagaruza comes in. Tim's reading a Wolverine comic book in solitary one day when the guards take him out, put him in a black van with blacked out windows, drive him to an underground garage someplace, then take him in an elevator to a room with no windows and handcuff him to a cheap plastic chair. A blue chair. Tim is sitting there for about... 30 minutes, when a squat muscular man with a bullet-shaped head comes in, followed by a tall, thin Hispanic man with bad skin. At first, Tim thinks the squat man is bald, but his hair is just shaved close to his head. He has cold blue eyes, a bad blue suit, and a smirk, and he looks over Tim like a piece of garbage, and then says to the other guy, I think this is the one. There's a definite resemblance. The other guy agrees. Now, I'm going to stop right there because I do remember one thing that this book does have in it, which is a lot of, not even implied, it's a lot of racism against Hispanic folks. So instead of saying the racist terms that they say, unless I can absolutely avoid it, I'm going to say Hispanic. Or Mexican. Yeah, I've made that decision. You don't like it, come fight me. That said, the squat guy sits down next to Tim, smiles, and then takes a big cupped right hand and whacks Tim on the ear. Hard. Pain is like fucking unreal. But Tim, killing over, manages to keep his ass on the chair. Which is a minor victory, but he knows that a minor victory is about the best he's going to get. You're a career fuck-up, Tad Garuza says when Tim straightens back up. Thank you. You're also a dead fucker when you get back to the yard, Garuza says. Isn't he a dead fucker, Jorge? He's a dead fucker, Jorge Escobar echoes with a grin. I'm a dead fucker, Tim smiles. Garuza says, so, we're all agreed you're a dead fucker. The question is, what, if anything, are we going to do about it? I'm not rolling over on anyone, Tim says. Unless it's Le Perrier, then just show me where to sign. You killed a guy, Kearney, Garuza says. Tim shrugs. He killed a lot of guys in the Gulf and no one seemed to get too uptight about it. We don't want you to roll over on anyone, Garuza says. We want you to be somebody. So does my mother, Tim says. This time, Garuza hits him with his left hand. To show he's versatile, Tim thinks. Just for a little while, Escobar says. Then you walk away. And you keep walking, Gruza says. Tim doesn't know what the fuck they're talking about. But the keep walking part sounds interesting. What are you guys talking about, he asks. Gruza tosses a thin manila file folder onto the table. Tim opens it 
and sees a picture of a thin-faced, tanned, handsome man with his long black hair pulled sleekly back into a ponytail. He kind of looks like me, Tim observes. Duh, says Garuza. Garuza's fucking with him, but Tim doesn't care. When you're a three-time loser, people get to fuck with you, and that's just the way it is. Try to pay attention, dummy, Garuza says. What you're going to do is that you're going to pretend you're a certain person. Then you can split. The world thinks the angels whacked you on the yard. You get a new identity. The whole works. What certain person? Tim asks. Tim thinks Garuza's eyes sparkle like that of an old con who sees a fresh piece of chicken on the yard. Bobby Z, Garuza answers. Who's Bobby Z? Tim asks. Chapter 2. You never heard of Bobby Z? Escobar asks. His jaw's hanging open like he just can't believe what he's hearing. See? You're such a moke, you never even heard of Bobby Z, Garuza says. Escobar says proudly, Bobby Z is a legend. They tell him the legend of Bobby Z. Robert James Zacharias grew up in Laguna Beach. And like most other kids in Laguna Beach, he was very cool. He had a skateboard, then a boogie board, then a belly board, then a long board. And by the time he was a sophomore at the aptly named Laguna High, he was an accomplished surfer and a more accomplished drug merchant. Bobby Z could read the water, read it like it was C-spot run. He knew if the waves were coming in sets of three or four, knew when they were going to peak, break right or left, A-frame, backwash, or tube, and it was that sense of anticipation that made him such a promising young surfer on the circuit, as well as a successful entrepreneur. Bobby Z couldn't even get a driver's license and was already a legend. Part of the legend was that Z had hitchhiked to his first big marijuana buy and hitchhiked back, just stood out there on the Pacific Coast Highway with his thumb out and two Nike gym bags stuffed with Maui Waui at his feet. Bobby Z is ice, intones one way. Resident lunatic of Laguna's public beach and self-appointed homer to Bobby's Ulysses. One way is short for one-way trip. The story being that one way took a trip on six dots of blotter acid and never really came back. He wanders the streets of Laguna, annoying tourists with his endless stream of consciousness soliloquies about the legend of Bobby Z. Those skinny Russian babes could skate on Bobby Z, one way might typically pronounce. He's that cold. Bobby Z's the Antarctic, man, except no penguin shit on him. He's pristine, placid, nothing worries Bobby Z. The legend continued that Bobby Z converted the profits of those two Nike bags into four more Nike bags, then 16, then 32, and by that time, he had given some money to a flunky adult to buy a classic 66 Mustang and drive him around. Other kids are worried about what college they're going to get into and Z is thinking, fuck college. Because he's already making more than your third year MBA. And he's just getting started when Washington declares this war on drugs, which is like a major boon to Z. Because not only does it keep the prices high, it also puts in jail that layer of semi-pro incompetence who would otherwise be competition. And Z figures out early, even before he skips the graduation ceremony, fuck retail. Retail is where you get to lean against your car and spread them. Wholesale is where it's at. Supply the supplier who supplies the supplier. Get to that level and become a non-person just managing the orderly flow of the product and the money and never, ever put your own ass on the line. Like buy, sell, buy, sell. And Z is an organizational genius and has it figured out. Bobby Z has it figured out. Unlike you, dipstick, Garuza says to Tim. You know how Bobby Z spends his high school graduation night? He rents a suite, a suite, at the Ritz-Carlton in Laguna Niguel and has his friends over for the whole weekend. Tim remembers how he'd spent graduation night. Not graduating, for one. While most of his classmates were at the prom, Tim and a buddy and two loser girls parked in a charger up by the recycling center in Thousand Palms with a few six-packs and a low-grade joint. 
He hadn't even gotten laid. The girl just puked on his lap and passed out. Like, you're a moke from fucking birth, Garuda adds. What can I say, Tim thinks. It's true. Tim grew up, or failed to, in the shithole town of Desert Hot Springs, California. Just across Interstate 10 from the resort town of Palm Springs, where the rich people got to live. The people who lived in Desert Hot Springs got to clean toilets in Palm Springs and wash dishes and carry golf bags. And they were mostly Mexicans, except for a few white trash drunks like Tim Kearney Sr., who on his rare visits home used to beat the shit out of Tim with the belt while pointing to the lights of Palm Springs and hollering, See that? That's where the money is! Tim figured he had that just about right. So by the time he was 14, he was breaking into those Palm Spring houses where the money was, nailing TV sets, VCRs, cameras, cash, and jewelry, and tripping off silent alarms. On his first juvenile B&E, the family judge asked Tim if he had a drinking problem. And Tim, who was not stupid despite being a monumental fuck-up, knew one out when he heard one and worked up a few crocodile tears and said he was afraid that he was an alcoholic. So he got probation and some AA meetings and a pounding from his old man instead of the CYA and a pounding from his old man. Tim went to the meetings and of course the judge was there, smiling on Tim like he was his own fucking son or something. Which made the judge a little irritated when Tim appeared before him on his second Julie B&E, which included amongst the usual TV sets, VCRs, cameras, cash, and jewelry, most of the contents of the victim's extensive liquor cabinet. But the judge rose above his sense of personal betrayal and sent young Tim to a nearby rehab. Tim spent a month in group therapy learning how to fall backwards into someone's arms and therefore to trust that person and all about his good and bad character points and various life skills. The social worker at the rehab asked Tim if he thought he had low self-esteem and Tim was willing to accept the suggestion. Why do you think you have low self-esteem? She asked kindly. Tim answered, Because I keep breaking into houses. I agree. And getting caught. So the social worker did more work on Tim. Tim had almost completed the program when he had a little slip and burgled the rehab's petty cash box and went out and bought some good boo. And the social worker asked Tim rhetorically, Do you know what your real problem is? Tim said that he didn't. You have a problem with impulse control, she said. You don't have any. But this time the judge was pissed and mumbled through clenched jaws something about tough love and sent Tim to Chino. Where Tim did his stretch and picked up a lot of useful life skills and he was out in about a month when the glittering lights of Palm Springs winked at him again. He was looking for jewelry this time and was almost out of the house in the way with the goods when he tripped on a lawn sprinkler and sprained his ankle, and West Tech Security grabbed him. Only you, his father said, could get fucked up by water on grass in the middle of the fucking desert. At that point, the old man got the belt out, but Tim had learned a lot of useful life skills in Chino, and in a couple of seconds, the old man was falling backwards and there wasn't anyone there to keep him from hitting the floor. So Tim got ready to go back to Chino, but he drew a different judge this time. What's your story anyway? The judge asked Tim. The problem is, Tim said, I have a lack of impulse control. The judge disagreed. Your problem is breaking and entering. There's no problem breaking and entering, said Tim. The problem is breaking and exiting. The judge thought that Tim was such a smartass that maybe instead of learning new material at Chino, he should become one of the few and the proud instead. You won't make it through basic, his old man told him. You're too much of a pussy. Tim thought the same thing. He had a problem finishing things. High school, rehab, burglaries. And figured the Marines would be the same thing. It wasn't. Tim liked the course. He even liked basic training. It's simple, he told his unbelieving barracks mates. You do your job, and they don't mess with you too much, unlike real life. Plus, it got him out of desert hot springs, out of that shithole town and out of the fucking desert. At Camp Pendleton, 
Tim woke up and got to see the ocean every morning, which was very cool. Because it made him feel like one of those cool Californians who live by the ocean. So Tim stuck it out. Stuck it out his whole enlistment and even re-upped for a second tour. Got his GED, corporal stripes, and an assignment to Desert Warfare School at 29 Palms. About 50 miles from his dear old hometown of Desert Hot Springs. Of course, Tim thought. Right back in the fucking desert. And he thought about going AWOL but figured, what the fuck, it's only one assignment. He figured maybe next tour, he gets Hawaii. Then Saddam Hussein invaded Kuwait to fuck Tim personally. And Tim got shipped to Saudi Arabia, which was like major desert. I can't believe you're a Marine, Garuza says. Semper Fido, Tim answers. Of course, Garuza already knows. Tim knows he knows. Shit, his file is sitting right there. All about Tim's career in the Marine Corps. It's the one thing about Tim that Garuza can't figure out because it doesn't fit. Here you got your prototypical scale. A born-to-lose moke who can't pull off a simple B&E. And the guy wins a Navy cross in the Gulf. At the Battle of Kofji, before the big U.S. buildup, Iraqi Armored Division comes pouring across the Saudi border at night. And Carnage Recon Unit is the only thing in the way. Unit is hanging out there all by its lonesome and it gets rolled over. Corporal Tim Kearney pulls four wounded Marines out from under Iraqi tanks. Citation says he's running around out there on the desert night like he's John Wayne. Shooting, throwing grenades, and getting its buddies to safety. Then he counterattacks. Against tanks. A one-man wrecking crew, a witness says. He doesn't win, of course, but takes out a couple tanks, and his unit is still intact when the cavalry arrives in the morning. Kearney wins the Navy Cross, followed by, in classic Kearney fashion, a dishonorable discharge for beating up on a Saudi colonel. Shit, Gruza says. They should have given him another medal. They threw you out, huh? Go figure, Garuza says. I was a Marine. What happened? What happened? Garuza asks. Fucking Vietnam happened. That's what happened. Fucked up my leg. That was a real war. Not like that pussy CNN video game you were in. Tim shrugs. I'm a pussy. Jorge grins. A pussy. Garuza leans over and sticks his face in the Tim's. His breath smells like Italian sausage. But you're my pussy. Pussy. Garuza whispers. Aren't you? Depends. On what? On what you want me to do? I told you, Garuza says. I want you to be Bobby Z. Why? Tim asks. You probably don't know who Don Huertero is either, Garuza says. Tim shrugs. Escobar sneers. Don Huertero is the biggest drug lord in northern Mexico, Garuza explains. Oh, Tim says. And he's holding a buddy of mine down there, Garuza adds. A damn good agent named Arthur Moreno. Carnal, Jorge says. Spanish, blood of my blood. I want Art back, Garuza says. Oh, and Huertero wants to swap him for Bobby Z, Tim answers. They do big business together, and Huertero wants him out and making money, Garuza explains. You have him? We got him. Got him in Thailand in exchange for returning a heroin shipment to its original owner. The Thais fucking hated Z. The deal's done, Garuza says. So why do you need me? Tim asks. He croaked, Garuza says. Who croaked? Bobby Z. Escobar looks almost sad about it. Heart attack, Garuza says. fucking boom Face first on the bathroom floor. A young man, Escobar says. Garuza says... Don Huertero has no sense of humor about this stuff. He'd give us dead for dead.
This is where you come in, Escobar says. Dead for dead, Tim thinks. And that's where I come in? Like, what's wrong with this picture? He asks, won't Huertero figure out kind of quick that I'm not the real thing? No, Garuza says. No? No. Because he's never seen Bobby Z. You said it. You said they did business. Phones, faxes, computers, and cutouts. Gruza says like he's talking to a moron, which he kind of thinks he is. He's never seen Z. No one has, Jorge says. Not since high school. Until we picked the sleazy cocksucker up in the jungle, Gruza adds. No one could really say they'd actually seen the real Bobby Z. A legend, Jorge repeats. Chapter 3 Escobar keeps it up as Tim's lying on a gurney with a sterile field over his face and some doctor's working off his cocaine beef by giving Tim a little scar like the one Z got when he bounced his head off a rock surfing the reef break in Three Arch Bay. Z didn't have any tattoos, did he? Tim asks. Because even with the local anesthetic, this shit hurts. In any ways, he's tired of lying there with this white cloth on his face. No, Garuza answers. Then, as an alarmed afterthought, you don't, do you? No. Which is a real good thing, Tim thinks. Because Garuza would probably want to burn him off. But he figures the other option is the angels on the yard, so what's another scar? So he's lying there, and Garuza's supervising the job, and Escobar's yapping about Bobby Z. About how Z gets out of high school and he's already a rich little mother and he's got a bunch of his little friends running dope all over your basic Southern California marketing area. Which gets him some unwanted attention, not from the cops, but from rival businessmen. These are the days when the Mexican gangs are still a joke. The Vietnamese don't have it together. And there's maybe one Chinaman in Orange County. And the Italians can still find their own dicks with their own pants. And it's probably one of the last. Although Z never finds out who. But two of his runners get taken out near Riverside and Z thinks this is a trace bad sign. Two young pretty cool kids lying face down in the drainage ditch and it's like, do not sin to ask for whom the bell tolls, right? But what to do? What to do? Z's sitting there in his condo he got a grown up the front for him. With his 66 thing likewise acquired and he figures, you know what? I don't exist anywhere on paper. So he splits. Disappears. Like the morning mist. One way describes in odd tones as his synapses pop like Rice Krispies. He's dogging four nervous German tourists down Forest Avenue in Laguna, telling them, It's like Z recedes back over the ocean. Who knows where? Some say China. Some say Japan. A few even claim they saw him on the beach in Indonesia, like he's Lord Jim, right? Or maybe he's on a boat selling the ocean, or maybe it's a submarine, like Z is Captain Nemo, James fucking Mason. But it's like, one day, he's on the beach, and the next day, he isn't. He's just gone, man. Gone. Like paddling out on this boat, he goes over the top of the wave and sayonara. But the dope keeps coming. Z has set up a marketing system using cutouts and agents and bonuses and profit sharing. Z brings in the sweetest boo on the West Coast. Only primo stuff. By the bail. Bringing it on boats like he's a smuggler of old. And every once in a while, he loses one. A mule gets popped. But the DEA can't get near Z. We thought we had him about five fucking times, Garuza says. And it turns out to be someone else. Grabbing Z is like grabbing fog, Escobar echoes. His hand makes a fist as he illustrates. Z becomes huge, enormous. Z is turning on the whole coast, the whole west. You get five yuppies smoking a bowl after their poached salmon, you gotta figure it's Z's dope. He's smart. Gruza explains. No coke, no smack, no speed, no acid. Just high quality grass. Opium. Tie sticks. Only sell to people who sell the money. 
so you aren't getting some pimple kid or deadhead or wannabe biker who's going to roll over on you. You bust someone with Z's dope, they're on probation in that Betty Ford before you can get back to the office. Z has a preferred customer base. The Nordstrom of dope, Escobar says. Z is landing dope from Alaska to Costa Rica. Who knows when a boat's going to hit the beach? One way asks the tourist as he strides beside him in Laguna. Like, Z can look at a map. Z can figure out there's no way the Coast Guard can spot a little boat here, a little boat there on a coastline that big. Thousands of fucking miles for Z's dope, man. Do you see what I'm saying? Look out there. That's the Pacific, friends. That is Z's territory. Z knows the rhythm of the water, man. He knows it and rides it. Z, Z is like Poseidon. Fucking Neptune, friends. Pacific means like peaceful, man. Z is peaceful with it. So what happened? Tim asks. Because Wonder Boy dies in custody, right? Like the rest of the losers. Don't know, Garuza says. Turns herself in in Thailand. Sick as a dog. Got some sort of intestinal bug and walks into the embassy and asks to see somebody from the DEA. Says his name is Robert Zacharias. I was on a plane in about 15 minutes. Then he dies in the shower, Tim says. Right? Garuza says. Like, life sucks. The doctor finishes up and tells Tim not to scratch it. Holds up a mirror and shows Tim the little scar on the left side of his forehead. Looks like a little Z. A fucking course, Tim thinks. What am I supposed to do, Tim asks, if Horror Tarot takes me across the border because he thinks I'm his partner, Bobby? Gruza looks annoyed. The fuck do I care, he asks. What do I do when he figures out I'm not, Tim persists. That's your problem, Garuza says. So there it is, Tim thinks. I can go back to the joint and definitely get killed. Or impersonate the great Bobby Z and probably get killed. I'll take door number two, Tim decides. Chapter four. But first, some training. What kind of training, Tim asks. No one mentioned anything about any training. The nice thing about the joint is that you don't have to do much of anything. Unless you count making license plates. You gotta know some stuff about Bobby Z, Escobar says. And some basic vocabulary. So Escobar becomes Tim's babysitter and trainer for the next two weeks. Trying to implant Bobby Z in a Tim's brain. They hold him in some camp somewhere around San Clemente to let the scar heal. And Escobar, Tim figures Escobar's like in love with the late Bobby Z. Because Escobar just can't shut up about the guy. Tells Tim everything the DEA ever learned about Z. What kind of foods he likes. What he drinks. What he wears. Old friends. Old haunts. Old girlfriends. Quizzes Tim on it until Tim feels like he's flunking high school again. Escobar's like Jiminy fucking Cricket. He's always over Tim's shoulder asking him questions. And all Tim's trying to do is check out the pussy on MTV. What kind of beer? Escobar asks. Budweiser. Corona, Escobar moans, and he's like pissed. Tim is in the fucking shower, and Escobar slides the door open and asks, football team. Doesn't have one, Tim answers. Hates football. What sports then, Escobar asks. Surfing, Tim says. It's a given. And beach volleyball. Or Tim's taking a nap. Just stretching out on the couch catching the afternoon sun. And Escobar grabs him by the shirt, yanks him to the floor and shouts, School colors! Blue and gold, Tim mumbles. Escobar screams, Maroon and white! And kicks Tim straight in the gut, hard, with one of his pointed-toed shoes. Tim's crawled up on the carpet in a fetal position. And Escobar squats beside him and says, You better get your shit together, pendejo. What do you think Don Huertero is going to do to you when he finds out you're a fake? Kick you in the gut? Maybe he chains you to the wall and starts him with a blowtorch. Maybe he starts chopping off fingers. Maybe worse. Don Huertero's serious shit, S.A. 
So Tim tightens it down, starts learning this stuff, learns all this shit that Don Huertero may or may not know about Bobby Z. Starts looking more like Z too. The scar blends in and Tim grows his hair out. They won't let him out in the sun though. They want to look prison pale. So Tim watches a lot of TV and does his homework. Bobby Z homework. What clothes, what movies, what books. High school yearbook. There's this picture of Z with this little smirk on his face. Like he knows this is bullshit and he's pimping it, right? High school friends, surfer friends, girlfriends. Lots of girlfriends, Tim finds out and it pisses him off. Not loser girls either, but your classic Southern California cool girls. Sleek, good looking, sloop around the beach girls. Girls with that confident look in their eyes. The look that says they know the world is theirs, just for showing up. Z liked this chucha essay. Escobar leered as they looked at the pictures together. Each of them speculated on which of the chicks Z actually banged. Escobar points out the ones they know were Z's girls. An Ashley, two Jennifers, a Brittany, and Elizabeth. One named Sky. And the chooch? They like Bobby. Like this is some big revelation to Tim. It was like a well-known scientific fact that girls will put out for dope. Good looks, cool, money, and dope, Tim thinks. But whoever said life was going to be fair. Escobar briefs Tim on Z's male buddies too. Surfer buddies, doper buddies. Some of them, even the girls, became employees. Sales representatives for Bobby's boo. A Jason, a Chad, two Shanes, and a Free, who was, go figure, the brother of Sky. Hip-looking guys, cool guys, Tim sees. Guys who rightly figure they own the world because they own the beach. Bobby's friends. Good friends, too, Escobar tells him. Bobby's Carnal. So Carnal, Tim thinks, the two of them, one of the Shanes and the Brittany, end up face down the irrigation ditch. Tim studies their pictures, their names. He studies books on surfing. He gets lectures from Escobar on how Bobby Z's empire runs. As much as they learned, Escobar says sadly, before Z's heart banged out. Bobby's head guy in the States is someone called the Monk, Escobar tells him. The Monk? Tim thinks. The fuck is this? Only Monk Tim knows is the fat guy in Robin Hood. So he asks, who's he? Escobar shakes his head. If we knew that, we'd grab him, wouldn't we? Escobar asks. Oh no, Tim says. Cops have cop brains, and who knows what's going on in there. It's all too much for Tim. He shuts the yearbook and closes his eyes. You better learn this shit, Escobar warns. Hortero's men will ask questions. Make sure you're the real deal before they make the trade. They better make the trade, essay. Our gurus will burn you bad. Things can happen on the border at night, you know? Tim knows that. Tim was on the fucking Kuwait-Saudi border when the Iraqi tanks poured in. Yeah, Jorge. Bad things can happen on the border at night. Pendejo, essay. So Tim studies and learns the shit. Couple of weeks, he knows everything there is to know about the legendary Bobby Z. And not because he's so entranced with the boy Wonder, but because Tim wants to have at least a shot of living through his little scam on the border. Boring couple of weeks, though. They won't let him go out, of course, and won't let him bring anyone up. Won't even bring a working girl up from Oceanside to let him get his rocks off. Even though they know he's been in the joint for months. Tim asks, though, and Escobar just sneers. You can get laid after the trade. If I'm alive after the trade, Tim thinks. It wouldn't be half so bad if they feed him some real food. But Bobby became a vegetarian. And Escobar doesn't want her Taro to smell any rotten meat on Tim's breath. That's stupid, Tim argues. Isn't, Escobar says. Huertero had Indians working for him. Kawia. They can smell that type of shit, man. They're like coyotes. So no cheeseburgers, no hot dogs, no tacos al carne that Tim's been dreaming about. Escobar tells him he can have a fish taco if he wants, and Tim tells him to fuck himself with his fucking fish taco. 
Hurts Escobar's feelings, and for three days, all Tim gets is pita bread and rice and vegetables. And Tim says, I know all this shit now. Let's do this thing. So Garuza shows up and gives Tim a little test. Escobar's standing there like a nervous father, smoking a cigarette and rooting for his boy as Garuza asks Tim a shitload of questions about the late, great Z. Escobar's grinning like an idiot when Tim 4.0's the test. Garuza doesn't get all warm and gushy. I guess you're ready, dumb fuck, is what Garuza says. So one night, they stick him back in the van and haul him out. Chapter 5 Late night in some canyon on the border. Tim figures are somewhere east of San Diego. The moon is out and the sky is not black but silver as Escobar walks Tim down the slope to the canyon floor. Garuza sitting in his jeep back up on top, watching through a night scope. A small battalion of DEA guys with M16s, shotguns, and maybe mortars for all Tim knows, there to back him up. The INS guys must have taken a prearranged hike because there's no green and whites around. And Juartero must have cleared the Mexican side because there's no Mexicans crouched behind the wire to make the dash for the dollars. The usual game is off tonight. It's just this session of swap and trade with your friends, Tim thinks. And now he could see some figures coming towards them across the canyon from the Mexican side. Tim feels the butterflies he used to get in his stomach just before a B&E. The same feeling he had that night when the fucking Iraqis came pouring into Kafji before the troop buildup and it was just a few marines and the Saudis and all hell broke loose. And he can feel Garuza's night scope on his back. Now he can make out a couple Mexicans holding up what must be Art Moreno, like semi-dragging him between them. And Tim figures Moreno has had a rough ride. It sure doesn't look like his legs work real well anymore. And as they get closer, he can see the agent's face and it looks some fucking tired. So Tim's happy for Moreno because the guy is coming home and happy for himself too. Although he doesn't want to get too happy until it's over. But he has to admit to himself that he's excited about the prospect of freedom. He spent the two weeks waiting for the Scarter Hill reading Consumer's Digest and some other useful magazines trying to decide where to move after this is over. One of the magazines rated cities by quality of life, and it's mostly mid-sized cities in the Midwest that rank high. A lot of that, though, is the school systems and similar shit that Tim doesn't care about. He's now tending towards Eugene, Oregon, because it rains a lot, and he's concentrating on that and how he's going to say to Don Huerto's boys basically, via con Deus, I like it here in America, and what kind of job can he get in Eugene? And they're close enough now he can see Art Moreno's eyes, and they look bad, like out of it, like they've seen some shit they don't ever want to see again. Escobar sees him too, because Tim hears him hiss pendejos, then the whoosh of a bullet, and Escobar's brains flatter on the Tim's face, and Tim drops to the deck. It's Kafji all over again, Tim thinks as he flattens himself against the desert floor and starts looking for cover. Tracers streak through the night sky. The noise fucking paralyzes. Guys are yelling, feet are stomping, and the two Mexicans turn back for the border, still dragging Moreno. Except one of them catches a burst in the back and sort of melts like that witch in the Wizard of Oz that used to scare the bejesus out of Tim every Easter. The other guy, like, freaks. Pushes Moreno to the ground and drops behind him like Moreno's a horse in a western and starts shooting at Tim. Tim's basic training takes over and he starts crawling to cover and makes it to some mesquite. He thinks for a second about going back to try and help Escobar, but he can see that the body doesn't have a face anymore, so Escobar doesn't need any help that Tim can give. And anyway, Tim sees fucking Garuza roaring down the slope in a jeep, steering with one hand and blasting with the other. And Tim thinks it's about time to leave. He rolls backwards out of the mesquite and down into a narrow barranca that runs parallel to the border and must be an illegal's highway because it's got tennis shoe tracks all over it. Which is just what Tim has in mind, to tennis shoe it out of there because when the whole mess is cleaned up, he knows Garuza is going to blame someone and that someone is going to be named Tim Kearney. So Tim starts to trot. All of a sudden, it's a zoo out on the border. Now everyone and his dog are out running around the moonlight. Mexicans appear from nowhere to use the chaos as a diversion. The DEA and Huerteros Desperados are punching out a sharp little small arms engagement. 
And Tim even startles a coyote that doesn't know which way to run because the noise is coming from all sides. Tim is running with a stream of illegals. Men, women, kids, which is okay with him. But then the INS Broncos start rolling in. Agents jump out and try and scoop them up some Mexicans. And Tim figures this ain't going to get it, so he dives into a smoke tree bush to wait it out. As soon as the INS finishes up, Tim thinks, I could just trot out of here and head east and it's sayonara. Like, they wanted me to be Bobby Z for a few minutes, and I did. And whatever went sick and wrong here is their problem and not mine. I'm done. Then he hears a hammer click behind his ear, and a Mexican voice asks, Mr. Z? Of course. That's me, Tim Sighs. So, before we get too much further in the book, let me tell you a few things that I've realized about this book that, you know, I noticed before, but as reading it, to myself as opposed to reading it out loud, there's a few things that are going to be made different in this book. First of all, a lot of racial slurs about Mexicans. Racial slurs that like I didn't even think of as racial slurs, but they clearly are. Like White folks are really fucking inventive when it comes to racial slurs. For everybody. Mexicans ain't safe. So, not going to use them. Uh, one is the B word. I'm not going to use that. The other one is the W word. Not going to use that either. I'm just going to say Mexicans. Is that cool with y'all? If it's not, fight me. Second thing is, uh, I realize again why I fucking hate Paul Walker. Paul Walker's a blonde-haired fuck who can't act. But somehow he got into the role of Bobby Z, of, of Tim Kearney, for the death and life of Bobby Z. As y'all probably don't remember, but I said earlier in this uh, reading, Bobby Z is a guy with long black hair that hangs down his back. Paul Walker is a blonde-haired fuck. Also, Tad Gruza is a short, squat motherfucker with blue eyes, so I consider him neither be white or else Hispanic. In Tad Gruza's role on the in the movie... They cast uh, Lawrence Fishburne, which, okay, you know, I'm cool with that. Either way it went, though, it was going to be a person of color unless it was actually supposed to be a white person, at which point, yeah, go for it. But that threw me off, too. But nothing threw me off as much as Paul Walker, because Paul Walker can't fucking act. 916-633-1537. Ratchet and Ratchet at gmail.com. Ratchet Book Club on Twitter. Leave a review on Podchaser. You can leave a review for the episodes or for the show as a whole. Um, become a Patreon member at patreon.com slash single simulcast. Buy me a coffee.com slash sscast. Thank y'all so much for listening. I do greatly appreciate it. Y'all be good. I'm going to holler at you later. Peace. outro to ratchet book club is by that kid garan and it's called goodbyes you can email him at tkgbeats94 at gmail.com for more information on how to lease this beat this is single simulcast